And we call this series of God-centered life. Because being a Christian is not just about having your thoughts or your beliefs revolving around God. It's not just about having your Sunday morning revolving around God. It's about having every part of your life revolving around him. And not in a, a bad way, but actually God would say to you, it's actually the best life possible. It's the life you were made for. And we've been seeing so far in the series, it's about having your struggles in life. Tough times in life, having those revolving around God, centered on God. Your desires centered on God. Your, your, who you're listening to for wisdom and guidance in life. Having that revolving around God. How you treat people in need. That needs to be God-centered as well. This morning we're thinking about what we say. What we say matters. It matters to God. It should matter to us. And it's another area where God wants to help us get it working properly, get it revolving around him. And you may be here this morning, you may be listening to this and thinking, I'm not a Christian. Well, you're really welcome here. It's great to see you. Um, I hope this morning is at least interesting for you. Um, But I hope it also gives you an insight, a sort of look in at what it's like to be a Christian. What is this God-centered life that they keep going on about? What is it all about? So we're going to read... From James, Uh, it's going to be coming up on the screen, but I'm sure some of you have got Bibles there as well. Reading from James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Well, the first thing we see from those verses is this. The tongue is small but powerful. The tongue is small 
but powerful. Well, first of all, James mentions people whose tongue is the tool of their trade, teachers. What they do is mostly through speaking, or certainly would have been at the time when he was writing. Uh, I'm not talking about school teachers here, but Christian teachers in particular, Bible teachers, church leaders teaching people God's truth. You think, hang on James, why are you trying to put people off? Not many of you should become teachers. But what he's saying is, and I think we can see this, it's a huge responsibility. You can affect the whole course of someone's life by what you say, particularly if you're speaking into the kind of areas that a, a Bible teacher, a church teacher speaks into. If you get it wrong, you can send someone off on completely the wrong track in life. If you're, if you're spreading lies, if you've not really thought it through, if you're not really listening to God, it can be disastrous. It's particularly true at the time when James wrote because people didn't have, generally didn't have their own copy of the Bible in front of them, their own personal copy. They go home and check it out, what's been said, whether it's misleading, whether it's true, whether it's really what the Bible says. James says, God will judge you more strictly. He'll hold you responsible for what you say if you're a teacher. You're, you're okay this morning, aren't you? It's me, I've got the, I'm the one that's got to worry about this. Um, but um, yeah, it's not advisable to rush into teaching people, I guess teaching people of any kind, especially not teaching them about life and faith and eternity. James says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is not, who's never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. So when we open our mouths, it's a risky business. We, we all do wrong in all sorts of ways, James is saying, but slipping up in what we say is particularly difficult to avoid. I don't know if you're, you're sitting here, you're thinking, no, no, that, I, I find that the easiest thing actually, to uh, avoid saying the wrong thing. And James says if you get your, whole, you get your tongue under control, basically you, you can get your whole person under control, your whole body under control. Get your mouth under control, get the most difficult bit under control, and it's plain sailing from there on. There, there is something, I hope you agree, there's something difficult about getting our tongues under control. Think about this. How many days in your life have you ever been through without stealing anything? I've been through quite a few. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't make me perfect. It was quite easy, to be honest, many, many of those days. Um, how many days have you been through without punching anyone or, or getting violence towards someone? Probably quite a few. hope so. Um, how many days have you gone through without saying anything that came out wrong and offended someone or came out right, actually, and offended someone? Um, <laughs> <laughs> or something which you regretted afterwards, or something where you needed to jump in and say, uh, sorry, only joking, or, uh, no, sorry, I didn't really mean it, or, uh, sorry, I was tired. And it's really in the news, isn't it? Um, you know, you don't want to be a politician and, and, and be able to speak, because you might say a lot of good things, but sooner or later you're going to slip up and say something which you wish, you might have meant it, but you just wish it hadn't, the camera hadn't still been running, 
or the, uh, the microphone hadn't still been switched on. Um, not thinking of any politicians in particular. But, um, the, but the tongue, James' point is the tongue is small but powerful. And so he gives us a couple of illustrations here. It's good I didn't have to think up, didn't have to think up these ones. They're given to me in the passage. So in verses 3 and 4, first of all he talks about um, a horse, controlling a horse. I mean some horses can be enormous. I've not... I mean, I've been to these sort of farms with the kids and, you know, you go someplace, you see this massive shire horse. But it's possible to control a huge, powerful shire horse with just this bit of metal, the, the bit in its mouth and some leather straps. And you can turn it where you want it to go, whether you're riding the horse or you're plowing with a horse. The, the, the size of the, of the thing that's doing the controlling is totally out of proportion to the effect it has. It's much, much smaller than the animal and the power that you can control with it. And it's a similar idea in the second one. The pilot or captain of a large ship can steer it wherever he or she wants it to go using something which is tiny compared to the size of the ship. It's the rudder, this little flap at the back of the the ship, uh, just under the water. Now, I guess James is thinking about the largest sailing ships of his time, driven along by powerful winds. And he thought that was amazing. I mean, we think about today. Perhaps we're not, you know, you imagine a huge oil tanker. And, um, you know, yeah, they have a rudder. They have a tiny rudder, or tiny in proportion to the size of the whole thing. And you can turn this massive oil tanker, driven by powerful engines, just with this tiny little thing. And in the same way, James is saying that our tongue is small compared to the rest of the body, but it, you could say it punches above its weight. It's small, and it's a powerful force in our bodies, whether that's for good or whether that's for bad. Get control of your, bo- your tongue, you've got control of your whole body. It will be in check. You could potentially do great good. Lose control of your tongue, and the results will be devastating. Well, James chapter 3, James is mainly focusing on the misuse of the tongue. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But let's just think for a moment about what must be equally true about when the tongue is used well. Kind, encouraging, welcoming words, truthful words that we speak. The other day, someone said to me, they said... uh, do you know what, Al? You look younger with uh, your hair cut short. No, I think that was a truthful word. I think they really believe that. And I took it. I took it as a compliment. Whether, whether you agree or not, that doesn't matter. But no, I'll take that as a compliment. That was a nice, encouraging thing for someone to say, wasn't it? Um, but on a more serious note, what kind of kind, encouraging, welcoming, affirming words... Has anyone ever said to you, I hope hope you can think of something, but often these things, they do stick with us. Sometimes there are words that maybe you go back to the person and you say, do you remember you said that to me? And they're like, no, No, I don't remember it at all. It was just something that they said, but it stuck with you, it encouraged you, it helped you, it built you up. Um, Maybe someone complimented you on something that you did once. 
to say, oh, you, you know, thank you for that. You, you, you're quite good at doing that. Why, why don't you do some more of that? I think you've got a gift there. One of the reasons why I'm standing up here today as a preacher, and that's part of my job, is many years ago, someone said to me, they said, they heard me do a, a tiny little talk in a, a group for potential preachers in the church, and they said, Al, I think you've got a gift there. And that encouraged me. And in fact, to be honest, that's something I've looked back on when it hasn't been going so well. And of course, there was hard work and there's training and practice that had to happen. But that was an encouraging little word. And that person probably doesn't remember even said it. Maybe someone thanked you for something that you did that made you think, yes, okay, you know, good, that is appreciated. I'll, I'll, I'll try that again. Maybe it's not specific words. Maybe you can remember something that someone said. It was just the general tone of something that someone said to you. A few weeks ago, I was up in London. There's a church that I used to be part of when I was younger. Um, it's now, it's, it's such an old church, it's having its 20th birthday. Um, but we pray there'll be many more um, birthdays, anniversaries for that church. And uh, it was a kind of get-together, a sort of reunion of people who'd been at that church and, um, over the years. Lots of people I didn't know, uh, lots of people from the old days. And one guy who I remembered from years ago, I remembered him being at the church, and he's still connected with the church today. And he said to me, he said, oh, you and, when I first came to the church, I, I walked in, I didn't know anyone, and you and Johnny came and talked to me and welcomed me and you know, that's why I'm here at the church. I was like, I don't even remember. I didn't I think I said that to him. But, um, you know, but I just, I just thought, I didn't think, yeah, pat myself on the back. I thought, well, thank God. Thank God that just, uh, just saying hello to someone who was new, and, and I, don't, I, I don't know what I said to him, but um, whatever it did, God used that to have a good effect in his life. Maybe he became a Christian in that church. I don't know. So God does use what we say. It can be very powerful. Jesus, Jesus in his life on earth was not just known by the miracles he did, but by his words. People were amazed. You can read in the Gospels. People were amazed by his teaching, his wisdom, his understanding. But in Luke uh, chapter 4 verse 22, it says this. It says, all spoke well of him. And were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. What about you? Do you think that it's worth focusing on getting your tongue under control? Do you think it's worth focusing on doing good with what you say? It's certainly, if, you, if you're a Christian here this morning, and as Christians we're encouraged to be more and more like Jesus, and we're encouraged... Uh, in the Bible that God is actually helping us become more and more like Jesus. Do you want your words to be like Jesus? Do you want people to, to think, yeah, he, this person is truthful. They speak kind, gracious, generous, welcoming, affirming words. You might think, well, actually, I, I'm not so... Uh, people will know me more by what I do. You know, I'm not really very good with my tongue. I do slip up. That's just who I am. But I do try and do good. And hopefully that will be the thing that people will remember. But the tongue, its effects are out of proportion 
aren't they? You can totally undermine something you've done that was good with what you say. You can just show maybe with what you say that actually your heart was not in that thing that you did. It was done with bad motives. You didn't really care for that person. Whatever it was. Do we make excuses for our speech? It's probably worth saying that we don't impress God with our speech as much as God wants us to speak well. We don't impress God with our speech. We don't get right with God through what we say. God doesn't say you can become a Christian because you're really good. you've got a really good track record of speaking well. No, it's a free gift from God. It's a free gift from God to come into friendship um, and a right relationship with God. There's only one person who's ever been faultless in his speech. That's Jesus. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died as a criminal, but he wasn't dying for anything he'd done. In God's plan, he was taking the blame, he was taking the punishment for all the things that we've done wrong that cut us off from knowing God. Jesus died for all the times we've said the wrong thing. Whether it was deliberately or accidentally, it was just through weakness, or it was done with a, with a bad intention. And even the person who's and you may think of yourself like this. You th- the person who's got the worst track record in speaking, who said some terrible things, they haunt you as you remember what you said, words you said that you can never take back. You can't even say, I didn't mean it because you did mean it. Well, th- there's forgiveness available through God for any of those things. As we put our trust in Jesus, we ask for his forgiveness and we say, I want to live a God-centered life with you in charge. If you're a Christian here this morning, living a God-centered life, is your speech becoming more and more God-centered? Are you asking God, God, help me to use my mouth for good? I want to, be, I want to speak words of kindness and encouragement and thanks and truth, just like Jesus did. Help me to speak words that point people to the hope there is in Jesus when I get the opportunity Help me to use my mouth to maybe invite someone to the quiz night or something at Christmas. Just something that will point people towards Jesus and, and, they, they, and that God might use that to bring them to know him. The tongue is small but powerful. We need to go back to the negative power of the tongue because that's where James' emphasis is And so the second thing I want to say, yeah, the tongue is small but powerful, but it's also, the tongue is small but deadly. The tongue is small but deadly. Verse 5 says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Back in 2007, there was a massive wildfire in California, we hear about these from time to time, don't we? In some sort of hotter parts of the world where they've got loads of trees. And um, this was a terrible fire. It burned for nearly four months before it completely went out. It burns more than the area, half the area of East Sussex. It cost the equivalent of £60 million to fight this fire. How did it start? It started by someone repairing a water pipe using a grinder, sparks from the grinder. 
causes massive fire, massive damage. And with what we say, sometimes it just takes a few words, doesn't it? For the sparks to fly and eventually massive damage is done. Sadly, in my own family, maybe you can think of these kind of situations. In my own family, I can think of several situations where relatively little was said. And yet it had long-lasting negative effects on relationships. I'm sure you've got your own stories. A couple of people, I mean, it happens all the time. A couple of people have told me recently about situations where sort of rifts in the family, people not speaking to one another, have happened because of what someone said. And often the original words, they get forgotten about. But the feelings of bitterness and anger, they continue year after year. And they end up saying, you know, we don't speak to him anymore or them. This is not just something for people before they become Christians. When you become Christians, suddenly it's all wonderful. And um, just God helps you to speak perfectly like Jesus. Well, actually, even in the book of James, as you've been reading through the book of James, and as we'll read on in the book of James, James is writing to Christians in churches, people who are meant to have a God-centered life. And yet, he's not only having to write what we're reading today, he's writing this because there's clearly an issue amongst the churches that he was writing to. But we pick up on all sorts of things that are going wrong in relationships because of what people are saying. We we read about people speaking hastily and in anger. Heard about that last time I spoke here. In chapter 1, there were people who were showing favoritism to the poor, sorry, to the rich and excluding the poor. And that happened, it started off with what they said. There were people boasting in what they were going to do and what they were going to achieve. There were people grumbling and complaining. There were people speaking against each other, slandering people and quarreling with each other. These Christians... Well, these people who claim to be Christians whose tongues were out of control. And so James is writing to them. This isn't just a sort of general thing, but it is, it is applicable to all of us here. James has experienced, he's heard about what's going on in these churches, and he's saying the tongue is small, but it's deadly. It's like sparks that lead to a fire. In fact, he doesn't say it's just like sparks that lead to a fire. He says that it is a fire. Verse 6 The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Steady on, James. It's a bit strong. But he has got hold of the damage that the tongue can do. There's a whole world of evil, he's saying, ready to be unleashed by this tiny part of the body. Don't underestimate what you can say, what other people can say, and the damage it can do. It totally ruins people. It, it ruins whole lives. It can, and this thing about the whole course of life, it can wreck your life at any stage. And in fact, you might think as we get older, we get better at controlling our tongue. But in fact, that's not always the case. In fact, as we get older, we find, we find more cutting ways of saying things, of bringing people down to size. And he says, set on fire by hell. And James really was just saying he believes it's the tongue is used for evil. The devil uses the tongue for evil. 
just by the way, as Christians, we believe in a real devil because Jesus did. Um, he's not some Halloween joke figure. We believe he's a real spiritual personality opposed to the purposes of God and his people, but his power is limited by God's. But at least from his point of view, he does everything he can to take us off track, including in our speech. Think of some ways in which you've heard your tongue or someone else's be used for evil recently, maybe even in the past week. Maybe you, you're, you're here this morning with a pain in your heart because you're thinking, someone said something to me and I, I just can't stop thinking about it and it really hurts and I'm not really sure whether, how much they really meant it or not. But it did damage, and it's difficult to forget about it. Of course, we don't necessarily think of the things that we say as, I'm not sure none of us think that we we speak evil to people. Sounds a bit extreme. But what about recently? Have you ever ever made fun of anyone when they were there or behind their back? Just for a laugh, of course, just joking, have you, have you had that situation where in your mind, perhaps in your conscience, you might say, you, you, you pause for a moment before saying something. And I know I find this myself. Sometimes if you're in, a, you're in a group, you want to make a joke. I don't know if this is more men than women. I'm sure some women do this as well. I know a lot of guys, they like to get the jokes in. And um, sometimes just you're in a group and you get egged on by other people. And even though in your mind you pause and you think, should I say that? And then it just comes out because you think, I'm just going to go for it anyway because it's going to get the laughs. Maybe you've lied recently. Well, it's more like an exaggeration, I suppose. It was, and actually it was because what it achieved in the end was a good thing. But it was a lie. Maybe it's speaking jokes or words that are offensive, generally offensive you might some, I've wondered this sometimes, you know, what, what, is the, what is the problem with swearing? What, what is the problem with swearing? Why does the Bible does talk about coarse joking and um, talks about using God's name as a swear word that dishonors God's. But what about other things that we talk about as swear words? Generally, they are. They're body parts that God has made or they're body functions or sex things that God has made and says are good. And we're using them in a dishonoring way. And generally they will be considered offensive by the wider society. Are we dishonoring God by any of the language that we're using? Might be gossip. Might be sharing someone's private business for, uh, for fun, for enjoyment. Maybe something that someone said confidentially to you and you think, well, it won't harm just to tell this person. Maybe as Christians, sometimes we, we say, well, I just want to tell you about it so we can pray about it. Is it really for that? Is it really necessary? Could be grumbling, could be complaining. We could excuse it by saying, you know, I'm just turning into a grumpy old man, a grumpy old woman. It's the kind of thing that just, it seems normal. Or it might be that your unkind, unloving words, you would say, it's just, I'm just a straight talker. I just I call a spade a spade. I just say it as it is. And if people don't like it, well, that's just the way I am. But being honest is not the same as being unkind, is it? Being honest and truthful is not the same as saying everything that pops into your head about a situation 
or a person. James would say, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. And we just don't know. Sometimes we just don't know the damage we're doing with our words. When I was a boy, um, it's probably about 10 or something, I was out playing with my friends. We met some other boys who were also from our school, down the kind of back alleyways behind our houses. And these boys were mucking around with matches. And I think they were sort of lighting them and chucking them behind a fence at the bottom of someone's garden. And I can't remember it very clearly. I'm not just saying that. I can't remember it very clearly. But I may have lit a few matches. And when they'd gone out, I thought they'd gone out. I chucked them or poked them through a hole in the fence as well. All seemed pretty harmless. I left. The boys were still there. Well, later that evening, the police came to the door um, to say that it was either a garden shed or a fence had burnt down. And there were boys who were saying that I'd had something to do with it. Had I had anything to do with it? I don't think I said I wasn't there, but I said, no, I didn't didn't set light to anything. And at the time, I believed I hadn't done anything wrong. But to be honest, I don't really know is the truth. I don't really know. I don't know whether a sort of smouldering match that I chucked and went in some dry leaves... Maybe I was partly responsible for that. I don't know. And the, the tongue can be like that, can't it? You, you can maybe just not even, you not even know the damage that something has done. It seemed like a sort of innocent thing. It seemed a bit of a joke. It seemed a, a harmless comment. But it, it was one that wasn't thought through. And it was one that you should have been able to pick it up before it left the mouth. Small but deadly is the tongue. I didn't mean to cause any harm, we might think, but you did. Have you got a grip on your tongue, or is it out of control? As you get older, is your tongue more and more in control, or less and less in control? Are you making progress in this area of your life? The tongue is small, but deadly. But why is it so difficult to control the tongue? Well, just when we thought we needed encouragement, you know, where's James going to go? He's going to encourage us. Verse 7 says, All kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. You think, great, no one can tame the tongue. I might as well just give up then. It's never going to work. Well, of course, it's not, it's not saying no one can make progress with it. As Christians, um, the Christians don't become perfect in speech, but Christians do make progress in this. But why is the tongue so wild? Why, why is it like a wild animal that can't be tamed? Well, just the last thing to say from these verses, the third thing is that the tongue is connected to the heart. The tongue is connected to the heart. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? 
Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And James is pointing out an inconsistency here. You've got a person who on the one hand is using the mouth to praise God, like we've been doing this morning. And on the other hand, he or she, they're using their tongue to curse people, to speak ill of people, to people, people who are made by God, loved by God, made in his image. He says this should not happen. It, it doesn't make sense. It's not right. It's a stranger's going in the garden and and looking at a tree and you've got apples and pears growing on the tree. If you saw apples and pears growing on the same tree, you would think one is right, one is wrong. Maybe maybe the pears have been wired on. Maybe they've been taped on with sellotape. Let me get close up. Let me find out which is the real fruit because you want to say to this tree, are you an apple tree or are you a pear tree? Which one is the right one? Which one is being consistent with who this tree is at its core. Jesus said in Matthew 12:34 he said for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of and Jesus is speaking about this connection between the heart and the mouth and this has got to be something that's that James has got in mind as he's speaking about this Jesus is saying It's quite a simple thing. What's inside comes out. Does the tongue have a mind of its own? No, it doesn't. It's driven. It's driven by the heart. I don't mean the sort of flesh bit that pumps the blood. I mean, and and in the Bible, it means the sort of the decision-making and desire center of your person. The real you at the center. If someone comes to praise God genuinely... Not just sing words, but sing them from the heart. So they want to give thanks and honor and praise to God. Then something has happened on the inside. Something has to happen on the inside. When before I was a Christian, even though I grew up in church, I would stand and I would sing the songs. They meant nothing to me. But when I became a Christian, when I asked Jesus uh, to come into my life, to forgive me and lead my life, then things started to change with the way that I sang. That was one of the things I noticed. And a heart transformation has happened when anyone comes to genuine praise of God. James, back in chapter 1, he describes it as a a new birth. And it will lead to a life that flows from that. When the heart's been changed, the life will change and the tongue will get in line with that. Yeah, it won't happen instantly. It may happen gradually. It may not happen as quickly as you'd like it to. But there will be progress because at the heart... Things have changed. Things are different. So yes, it's possible for a Christian to praise God one minute and curse someone the next. But as James says, it shouldn't be. And it should definitely be on its way out. It should be picked up as an inconsistency. And something which God wants to help you with. If you're a Christian here this morning, and it sounds like you, I guess we need to know it's not a hopeless thing. It's not hopeless Maybe you've been challenged by some of these things we've been talking about this morning. I certainly have as I've been speaking, but as I've been preparing. Bring it to God. Ask God to forgive you. Ask God to help you in this whole area of speech. He's changed your heart already. Well, ask him to get your tongue in line with your heart. And decide. It's not just a case of leaving all to God, but in, some, in a sense, 
saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this and knowing God's power helping you to do it, to say, I'm going to go for change. I'm going to, I'm believing that God's going to help me. I'm going to go for change. I'm going to go for better speech. I'm going to go for a tongue which blesses and encourages and speaks the truth and honors God and honors other people. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. You've never asked God to forgive you. You've never asked God to forgive you, believing that Jesus did everything necessary on the cross to put you right with God's. You don't need to do anything apart from receive that and begin living that God-centered life. The God-centered life is a gift from God. It's not something that we, we might eventually be working towards. You can ask that for God this morning. You can ask God to forgive you. You might, be in, you might have in mind things that you've spoken wrongly. Well, God can forgive you for those things and everything else. Ask him for a heart that changes, that, that, want, that wants to praise him. For a tongue that speaks what's good and right as part of this whole God-centered life. Well, I just want to finish with a word, a challenge from a verse that we, we read back in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 26. And something which means that really we can't go away from this morning and do nothing about this. James says, those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. It doesn't mean anything negative by the word religion. We could just substitute the word Christianity. And James is saying that if a person claims to be a Christian, but they consistently refuse to rein in their tongue, bring it in line with their hearts, well, it maybe shows that there's been no heart change at all. James is straight talking. He says, if you think you're a Christian and you don't care about how you speak, James says, think again. You're kidding yourself. It's like James is a doctor. It's like we've been in a doctor's surgery this morning. We've been calling for a spiritual health check. How are we doing with God? And we think... We think uh, James, the doctor, he's going to put the thermometer into our church attendance, into our giving, into how much we read the Bible. And these are all good and important things. But instead, he puts the thermometer into our mouth, under our tongue. And if things are not right in our mouth, it's a warning sign. It's a sign that there's a heart problem that needs attention well, let's bring these things to God as we pray. Father, we thank you for the many good uses of words and the tongue. Lord, things that we've benefited from, what we've heard from other people. Lord, we're conscious of the times we've, we've failed in this area. Lord, we want to bring these things to you and say, Lord, forgive us. Thank you that Jesus' death on the cross covers every wrong word that we've spoken, however bad, however regrettable, however much damage it did. Lord, we pray you would forgive us and we pray, Lord, for your help. Lord, starting from now, starting from the coffee time, starting from this afternoon, Lord, that we would speak good and right and truthful words, gracious words, like Jesus did. In his name we pray. Amen.